Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. For our guest today, please welcome Doug Woodnable, architect and design director at Gensler. Doug directs the vision of project teams as they collaborate with technology, energy, and financial firm clients, and is president of Northern California chapter of the International Interior Design Association. For more information, feel free to visit www.gensler.com. That's www.gensler.com. Hello, Doug. We're honored and excited to have you on our Modern Architect show today. Good morning to you. It's great to meet you. I've uh, listened to a couple of these in the past, so I'm looking forward to having a chance to talk. Thank you, Doug. As we came in, I was... um I admire your work, to say the least, and thank you for your tour around the Gensler Oakland office. You're more dynamic than I thought. Let's, let's let our audience share with you. Doug, I'd like to start with early inspirations, if you will. Can you recall from where you are now to what inspires you to do what you do? And, uh, you know, were there any epiphanies? Were there situ- scenarios in life that made you go, you know what, I really enjoy this, whether it's design Drawing, whatever, whatever got you to where you are now. If you can look back and see, you know how there it is fits. Yeah, there, there's never one single epiphany. There's never okay. one single thing. It's always a series of, of different influences, etc. But what I have found in my last thirty years practicing architecture is travel certainly always leads to some form of epiphany. It's it allows your senses to to awaken and to receive new information. I think probably my biggest epiphany, if at all, was when I moved from California to Tokyo, and I lived in Tokyo for eight years. That was truly uh, an epiphany in the case of my senses were completely open. I didn't really speak the language that much. I did take lessons in the evening, but essentially immersing myself in the Japanese culture for an eight-year period was truly a whole different way of, of perceiving the world, and then it has influenced my design going forward. How so? How has it influenced your design? Well, it's, it's influenced it in a lot of different ways. But number, the, there's one, one of the ways is material. I have okay. a newfound respect for materials themselves, the so things that we use to make things, the things that we use to compose some of our designs. I hate to be uh, – I, I, it's not really spiritual, but the idea that is really inherent with many of the Japanese ways of thinking is, is that – in some materials, namely wood and stone, there may well be some type of spirit inside those materials. So it's a recognition like that. that that spirit is part of what you're building anew. And so the, as, as long as you start to recognize that everything has a form of energy or, or everything has a form of spirit inside of it, it makes you rethink how you're using materials and how you put those things together. 
So it's the spiritual understanding. And then number two is the attention to detail. It's the fact that within the Japanese society, there's a huge attention to the finest detail. You see it in packaging, you see it in retail, mm -hmm. you see it in all different environments, but certainly in the built environment as well, there's a fine attention to detail because they really recognize that it's the environment that we occupy, the environment that we inhabit, which is the, really the most important thing in, in our lives going forward. Yeah. It sounds like you, you, um, you're designing and you're thinking from the, the human out. Words. Is that correct? Not just the building inward. It's the human out. Well, absolutely. It's actually really the idea of influences from the human going outwards. And then sometimes that influences about way, the way something looks on the outside. So some of the things that we do in even my current practice right now is designing from the inside out. The fact that... Really? So that was a, it is. an no, accurate call. And it's a very, very accurate call because... Okay. Most of the time when we consider architects, there's a lot of focus on what does it look like from the outside. I mean, that's what everyone, many people think of architecture. Yeah. But what we practice, particularly at Gensler, and this is where Art Gensler found his own forte in this case, was the practice of interior architecture. The fact that what happens on the inside of the space is just as or possibly a little bit more important than what's happening on the outside of the skin of the building. There's lots of people who will de debate me and us about that, but it's really how do we satisfy the needs of the occupiers or the occupants or the people who are using the building on the inside, and then does that actually start to influence the way the building's shaped and the way the building looks on the outside? Yeah, well, it goes back to you. You said there's a spiritual energy. Yes. So if you use the spiritual energy, you said even if it's wood in particular, we yes. use that wood, is that that, that, that wood has a, a history and has a beginning in that history, and something has a beginning in that history. Yes, yeah. It's it's very... Simple. How do you teach that? If you well, I, you know, I don't think you can actually teach it, but you certainly can remind yourself on a daily basis what what is important meaning in terms of of say exposure to living things but you can teach it in the case of when i'm i teach drawing i teach sketching and drawing over at berkeley uh evening courses and i try to focus on this idea of it's not just copying something and what you're trying to do is you're trying to capture the essence of something especially in a, what you call a gestural sketch so i really focus on the idea of try to capture the energy of what you're drawing even though it looks inert and it doesn't necessarily move it you may be able to capture some of that in a drawing format or a drawing and you know there's plenty of painters and illustrators and artists out there who have done that same thing is captured something in a, in a very unique way, but it's not what you would call a representational image. It's a, it's a spiritual or energy image. Yeah. How, yeah, how would you capture that, um, the invisible that way? Is there a process that you go through tangibly to capture that essence? There is a process that is still not finished, meaning that that's one of those things that's great about what I'm involved in and, and our profession is involved in, we're never quite satisfied. We're never quite satisfied with what we were just doing. There's always something better. There's always, oh, I wish I could have done that. You know what? Next time I do this, I'm going to do this. So it's a, it's a never ending process of really trying, trying to find that best solution. There's some big influences right now on a lot of us, which is this idea of sustainability mm -hmm. and this idea that there's a limit to the amount of resources and the amount of energy. So that's our true challenge right now is as we move forward and we develop spaces and places to live and work, it's the better use of those resources. And then 
then it's a better use of the the carbon and capturing okay. that carbon and recogni- recognizing that carbon is one of those things that um, is it's going to get us in the end if we ha- don't figure it out. So it's it's also a process, a never ending process to figure out the best way to design with those things in mind. Yeah, how do you ca- do you have that vision in mind with every project? Uh, try to. Okay. Um, <laughs> like you said, try to. <laughs> okay. Well, try to because you know at the same time, and again, I I, I won't defer to Art Genzer all the time here, but the other thing that's incredibly important or always important is the client. So we as designers and we as architects and we as, as, as folks that are, that are creating things for others, our other true challenge in this case is to make sure that we're paying attention to the client. We've got to understand what he or she or they are looking for, listen carefully, test some things out, help them imagine, co-create and then come up with a solution that matches or maybe exceeds what they're looking for. So it's not just what the desire that we want to do. We're also trying to develop something that's satisfying the desires and, and we wishes and needs of a client. Yeah. What's, what are some of the projects that you work on, if you're at liberty to share with us? Uh, you know, the most, some of the most exciting ones right now are what we call innovation centers. They're innovation centers. Okay. And again, I, it's, this is not a secret. This is one of those things that there are there are... A series of clients, especially what we what I would call in our in our wonderful Bay Area right now, that the advancement of technology has developed a a realm of thought that is always looking at for the next innovative moment or mm-hmm. the next innovative thing. It's um, I mean, we always think of Apple as one of those places or one of those companies that is coming out with innovation. What I'm involved in and several of our staff here involved in is we're we're helping design what we call spaces and places for companies to become more innovative. By design? Yeah, by design. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, that's a very big challenge, meaning that what we're trying to design is a space where the individual and the group and the team can come together and co-create and focus and meet and study and ideate and create something ideally that's a new type of innovation or something that's innovative in that case. So it's a big challenge, but it's the same idea of when we would be asked to design a school and we're asked to design a school that helps students learn better and hold things in their mind or memorize or in many cases become more innovative. It's really focused on this idea of what's the space that really helps you think the best and, and become more innovative and more productive. It's, it's one of those things that a it's lot so, of companies so are looking awesome. for. Yeah, so the idea, you ideate. So what do you select with that? Do you go from the ground up, the lighting, the colors, the space of the room, the shapes of the room, the shapes of the furniture, the design of the furniture? Are all those factors considered? All of those things. All of those things and more. And more. And more. And when I say that, uh, all (laughs) those things that you just listed were all key parts and components of what our design is all about. What we'd like to do, and this is the the hardest part of all, what we like to do is to, we try, like, we like to try to knit all that together into what we would call a concept. And in this case, it's to me, it's probably one of the most important things is to come up with an overall, what we would call a design concept so that everything starts to fall into place. Crude examples of something like that would be this project was based on an idea of uh, an organic concept. And so therefore, most of the materials, if not all, are organic materials. Or maybe most of the shapes and things that are inside of the space are maybe derived from organic shapes and patterns, etc. So 
the idea is to come up with a concept that helps everything else fall into place as parts of, I'll say a jigsaw puzzle, but okay. it's, it's part of the overall design. And things, in many cases, if the concept is right, it's easier to make decisions as you go down the line. Does it get easier with each client, or is it so unique that each client it becomes uh, you have to begin anew? I would say that it gets harder and harder every day, and that's and, and it is. Because, I'm speechless. Well, it's it's, it's, it's it because it's harder, it's, harder. it's harder and harder every day. The reason why it's it's that way is that I would I haven't met an architect yet that who's satisfied uh, or an, or a designer that's satisfied. We're always. We're always looking to do the next best thing because we learn from what we're doing. That's the wonderful thing about the art of, I would say, architecture, the art of architectural design, is that it's a mix of science and it's a mix of art mm -hmm. together. And the key ingredients of both art and science, yes, result in a building that is is functional, but it also brings into this realm of, I'll, I'll use that term loosely, but this idea of beauty and what, is, what does something look like and how does something make you feel? So it's, there's always the next best design or the next best product or the next best client in this case. And I'm, I don't mean best client, but next client that has a challenge for, for us and our teams to, to, to take on is it, it gets harder and harder. It doesn't get easier and easier. We, we, we try not to pump out same solutions. We yes. try not to do that. We're, we're always, every client's unique and every solution is unique. Yeah, the, the standard of beauty I wonder, is that measured or can it be measured or is it subjective? <laughs> That's a great question. And that is what's happening in our in our business right now, at Gensler right now. We're, I'll touch on this a little bit, but we're developing what's called an experience index. Okay. Experience, experience okay. index. And it's, it's, a, it's a very brave attempt. Um, and I'm using that word brave. It's a very brave attempt. What we're trying to do is to try to apply some level of objectivity to measuring what an experience is. And for lack of a better explanation on this, what is the experience of going inside of a retail space? Or what is the experience of going inside of a church? And how can you measure that experience? And how can you, in many ways, can you make that experience better? Is that what its own AI in essence? Uh, or are you still know. utilizing the human element? We're still utilizing the human element. Okay. Um, I would say when you say AI, you mean the artificial intelligence. Yes. So, yeah. yes, certainly that's part of it because what's happening with a lot of the AI applications, and most companies are doing this, is that the Internet of Things is, in this case, the Internet of Industrial Things and Internet of Things, there are sensors being placed everywhere we're going, and there's always data coming in. So everywhere we go everything that we do everything every action that we make is now being recorded in some sort of way so it increases that ability to measure your experience yes but at the same time i keep my concern is that there is there's probably a tsunami of information and there's a tsunami of data so the true challenge is to winnow through all of that and find out what's the most important data or information and see if you can pin down okay why was that a great experience yeah. why what, what what made that special yeah, so um, in your experience, how do you distill that intelligence? I don't know yet. Okay. I don't know yet. That's that's really what we're trying to work on right now is how to distill that and how to capture it in a way that would make it into a, a – a, I don't know yet. I love that. That's <laughs> it's, a great it's, answer. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful challenge, and it's, and it's one of those things that – a lot of us as designers, we, we've tried to measure productivity. We try to measure how productive 
a team is or a, a person is? Are they coming up with more innovative solutions? Are they becoming coming up with more, say, work material? There used to be ways in, in, in factories, for example, that you would be able to improve an assembly line and you would be able to make so many more widgets in a certain amount of time. And you could say, look, by doing such and such and making this lighting better and making this a more comfortable place, we can roll out more of these widgets in, the, in a certain amount of time. So that's a, that's a factual way of, of, say, measuring something being productive. Excellent. Let's return to that. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. The California States Park Foundation is the only statewide independent nonprofit organization dedicated to protecting, enhancing, and advocating for California's state parks. With ever-present budget cuts threatening our parks from the Oregon border to Oceanside, the foundation needs your support now more than ever. To learn more or make a much-needed donation, go to calparks.org. That's calparks.org. We're talking today with Doug Whitnable. Design Director, Architect at Gensler. Doug directs the vision of project teams as they collaborate with technology, energy, and financial firm clients. For more information, feel free to visit gensler.com. That's www.gensler.com. Doug, which, I want to hear your take on this, on discovery. I call it, dis, it shouldn't be discovery versus create. It, should, it ought to be discovery or create, or maybe discovery and create. What percentage do you personally place your value on discovery or creation or creativity uh, i put an equal okay. emphasis on both the discovery part and the creation part i would say that what really is the more enjoyable part for example is discovery because you're in and i'll use that term because i like the idea of discovery meaning that you're discovering something new something that you haven't seen before and it's not just a thing it's also a relationship or an effect of something upon something else so I probably enjoy the discovery part things more than the create part. However, at the same time, part of that discovery process is going to naturally lead you to create something new. So it, they, are, they are hand in hand. So I always think of the discovery part, whether it's traveling to a new place, uh, looking up something on the internet, reading something in a book, coming across something on, a, on media publications. Those are what I would call discoveries that lead to a new type of creation. Oh. Uh, can you give us an example of what may have happened in your travels where you're just you're, you're not even paying attention? I mean, you are paying attention, yeah. but you're not looking for a, a solution or an answer, uh, and, and, think, and something comes to you that right. actually is uh, it galvanizes. Yeah. It, so. Well, you know uh, what I do? I do visual. What I call two things: I do visual notes, but I also am a, I chronicle the places I go, and I and I don't really take photographs that much. What I what I do is I sit down and I take the time and I do a drawing of the place that I go. So wherever I go, wherever I go traveling, whether it's in Tokyo or whether it's, you know, in Japan, How about the Tahoe, China, you know, I brought that Tahoe, up when, right, we, when right. we spoke before we came on the show, right. you were in Tahoe, Tahoe and you did one in the morning, right? Yes. I did, did a sketch in the morning and yeah. I think I did a sketch in the afternoon also. <laughs> the, the main Tahoe. idea behind it is, is what happened, what has happened to lots of people is that we have have inundated ourselves with the image, meaning that now that we have a device, most likely it, it used to be a phone, now it's, it's called a camera, but now that we take images of everything and we post everything on all of these social medias, what we forget to do or what, what's happened is that we, lo- we have lost the potency of what we're seeing. And so what I like to do is to recognize that if you can take 
that moment of time and sit down and look and draw and capture that, I always learn something new from that because then you're actually, for lack of a better term, you're, you're tracing the outline of something, you're understanding what it really is made of and what it looks like. And so that's, to me, the most important part of, of, of that process is look at, capture it, see what you can do. And then I capture it. These days I do it most of them on my iPad. So I'll do a digital drawing in an analog means and then I save that and I'll look at it another day and it inspires me with something. Yeah. Just for, for our listeners, Doug, you also have several other sites in your own that you're w- welcome to go to. Share with us some of the sites that uh, uh, guests my, may be able to go to. Sure. My, my Probably my top recommended site is a site that's called Drawing on the World. And that would that's all one phrase, Drawing <laughs> on the World. I've been doing it, I think, for about eight to nine years now. Usually it's 60 or 70 entries per year. And it's it specifically talks about this idea of going on journeys and going on travels and capturing those essences of what those trips are all about. And then I put those on my blog and I give some information about where it was. I also, in many cases, I try to say what app did I use on the, on the iPad. I test new apps out. I do a lot of, I used to do a lot of testing of apps for Adobe. I live and breathe with this, with my iPad <laughs> as I travel. <laughs> okay. And I try to capture it in this case on, on a, on that blog drawing on the world. I also have a Flickr account. I also have an Instagram account. I have a Facebook account, of course, and Behance. Behance now is also, I've got some, quite a few of my drawings and paintings on Behance. So, where if there's a social media outlet that's popular, I'm usually I'm usually there in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Now this here, this just came up. I'm thinking. Of, yeah, you've said the, this a lot. Is the essence the essence of things? In essence, in essence, can essence actually be the reality? I think essence essence is the reality. Okay. Yeah. You know, right. So yes, the 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 essence can be the reality. So, I mean, I'm sure there's many philosophers and many artists who have also said that it's it's. It's behind the surface is what you're really, really looking for. So in many cases, by looking and drawing and painting something, you're not necessarily just recording about what something looks like. You're also, in this case, trying to get a better understanding of what the essence of that, of that space is. The best space or the best space that I've, that I've experienced ever in my life was it's a, it's a, it's a space that is in Burma, in Myanmar. Burma, okay. and it was, it's the Shwedagon Temple or the Shwedagon P- Pagoda in Myanmar. Yeah. And that experience of walking around that temple and then doing drawings of that in a whole long afternoon was is probably the best ever in terms of understanding and feeling the essence of what, in this case, the idea of spiritual architecture would be about. I'll never forget that. Yep. Wow. It's, How recently was this? This was 1997. So it wasn't, wasn't recent. It wasn't recent. But it's also, there's a term out there called the thin place. Okay. Ever heard of the, a thin, thin place? The thin. thin place. T-H-I-N, thin place. I don't think it's a real common term. Um, I know somebody in, I've forgotten his name, but he, he had his, I think he invented it. It's the place, and I, I was there, it's the place where earth meets heaven. So it's that they don't cross over. It's it's a blending of the earth space and the, for lack of a better term, the heavenly sphere space. Okay, and that's it's that space right Doug there, is which is called the which okay. is called the thin place. And the Shwedagon Pavilion or the Shwedagon Temple was that place. And so you could feel, of course, the earth, but you could also feel and sense the spiritual above. 
And it's called a thin place. I, I'm always looking for another thin place, and I'm sure there's, <laughs> I'm sure there's more out there. But that's the one. That's the one of the ones that will always remain in my memory. I'm sure there's probably some wonderful thin spaces in the fjords in Norway. I'm sure there's some wonderful thin places in some wonderful temples in China as well. So yes, they're out there. It can is, you create a thin place? I don't think you can create a thin space. Okay. Why? I mean, I, why not? I don't think we're on Earth long enough to. I don't think we're on the Earth long enough to create a thin place. I think it takes more than a generation. In any space. Yeah, in any space. I think it's going to take. It would take a group of us. So that's a massive understanding. It's a massive understanding, but it's also it's the same sensibility that. I mean, another thin place. I remember going to the Exeter Cathedral in England. I was going to school in London at the North London Polytechnic. We took a trip up. I can't remember where it was, but Exeter Cathedral. Going in the cathedral, and the, as soon as walking down the aisle, the organ began. And the sound of that organ filling up the whole space was, you know, it's magical. It's absolutely <laughs> magical. It's the reason why things were built that way. And that was built generations ago. And I don't think it was ever designed to specifically create a thin space, but it certainly was a space that was designed to capture and represent this idea of the spirit in all of us. Have you worked on projects where you've come close? Do you think there's coming close to, or have you been? No, in I haven't. No, okay. I've never worked. At, that's one of those. That's that's a very elusive project type. I mean, that that's one of those things that you probably. I don't know if I'll ever have that opportunity. It's probably would manifest itself if there was a religious institute of some sort, or if it's a specifically a space that someone would design to observe, like a. A platform out in on top of a mountain that will allow you to observe or look out. It's the it's those types of spaces, but those types of projects are few and far between. Okay. Um, but that's probably something that every architect dreams about. How about in the U.S. or even local here in San Francisco Bay Area? Have you are there spaces that you've even if you can capture just a a, a breath of this, even just a breath, maybe maybe not a, a whole experience, but just a breath of it, just saying, you know what, this this place can be what you're calling it. You know, there's the, the San Francisco is a magical place. I mean, I remember moving out here from New. I'm from New Orleans originally, and I remember moving out here from New Orleans. And I mean, there, there's two or three things in San Francisco that immediately capture you. That's the light, light, the, the light, the light in San Francisco. That first, that first six months that I was here, I was struck by the light and the shadow. And I think, I think David Hockney said the same thing when he moved to L.A. It was the light and the shadow that captured him the most. And for me, it was the bluish shadow that was I could sense in in San Francisco. And again, it's coming here for the first time and being extremely sensitive to what things look like and what, how shadows are cast. So I'm not quite sure where I'm going yeah. with this one, but it was... San Francisco has always manifested itself as as a as a place where you've got some special spaces, but I can't think of anything that necessarily would be a, a thin place at this time. Yeah, I mean, going back to uh, touching on light, yes. and you shared mm-hmm. with us the importance of it. I would say within the last ten, fifteen years, I think it's accelerated. Yeah. But mm-hmm. what's your experience with light and how it changes space? I would say that the biggest experience in the and it's a, it's a lesson that. We always think we learn, we, we always forget it's that natural light is the most important thing in any type of design of any type of space. So we, meaning our Oakland office, when we relocated from our San Ramon office to here in Oakland, we looked at probably about 30 buildings in Oakland, three, 30 different spaces. But when we found this space here in the what I call the Pandora building, the top floor, as soon as we got off the elevator and we looked out, 
we could tell that this was going to be the one. This is the space. Oh. The views and the natural light, the fact that we've got 360-degree views and 360 degrees of exposure to different types of light all 24 hours of the day, that's the essence of being productive as well. And when I say productive, meaning you feel good. You feel good in this space because you can look out, you have a direct connection, and it's not you're not just here. You're actually... You have a wonderful sensibility of what everything is around you. So the recognizing that natural light is the most important essence of mo- almost every design project. So you work to uh, uh, bring natural light within a yes. space. Uh, absolutely. Or replicate yep. it as close as possible. Have you ever seen it replicated? Uh, I think I have seen it replicated. Okay. I mean, we're, we're, you always hear talks about light temperature and, and replicating that light temperature in many ways. And, you know, in so hospitals. it's the temperature. It's the temperature okay. of the light. Yeah, okay. it's the temperature of the light. And I mean, there's a, there's, I, could, I couldn't tell you what the temperature of daylight is, but there's the range from 2000 all the way to 6000K, which is really warm all the way up to really cold light. And there's a comfort level in, in within all of that is it probably around 3,500K, 3,000 to 3,500K, which is probably the most comfortable light temperature for – it's almost like if you ask what temperature is the most important, people might say, well, 72 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Right? The, it's, that's it's the equivalent? A, that's the equivalent in terms okay. of the think and the look and the feel, right? There's yeah. probably something in sound as well. I'm not a musician, but I don't know. But there may be the, you know, the key of G or something. There may be something else <laughs> yeah. that's out there that, that is that, the median that everyone would enjoy. Yeah, I've got here some of the uh, your attributes here. This is just on your on your oh. LinkedIn side. The highly creative designer and analytical problem solver. Well, it's not frequent that you have a highly creative design and analytical at the same time. How did you arrive at that? Or I would say that I've always started in my young in my younger days, especially in design. There was a lot of focus on intuition. Uh, there was a lot of focus on being creative was coming up with something new that had never been done before. There still is that focus. You all, you, you know, there's nothing better than coming up with something that hasn't been done before. But in the last 10, 20 years of, of this profession, what I and many other people have been focusing on is the importance of data, the importance of information, and learning from the environment. So the, the idea of being receptive to what things, things look like and things, what the effect of things are, that's taking into account what's called more of an analytical analysis you know you're you're understanding okay there's this type of data there's this type of information i want to make sure that i understand that before i come up with my creative solution so that's that objective side is always influencing the subjective side in the design solutions that we're developing so creative and analytical yeah oh great great response this is the modern architect on kzsu stanford 90.1 fm Did you know that a study found an average of three pieces of trash along every foot of Bay Area streams leading into the bay? The trash you drop on the street can end up in San Francisco Bay or the ocean, where it can kill wildlife, such as seals, seabirds, and turtles. Join with more than 50,000 Save the Bay supporters, advocates, and volunteers to protect our bay and make it cleaner and healthier for people and wildlife. Please visit sfbay.org. We're talking today with Doug Whitnabel. Architect, Design Director at Gensler. For more information, feel free to visit www.gensler.com. That's www.gensler.com. Doug, with architecture and construction constantly 
evolving, the expectations evolve as well, or does it? Um, what's changed in your experience over the last, say, three to five years that stands out within the next three or five years? Whether it's the design, it's the technology, the materials, the clients, their expectations? A lot of things. But okay. uh, yeah, the clients have gotten smarter and smarter. Clients really have a much better understanding of what design's all about, whether it's the fact that they've taken the time to learn or it's sometimes it's media exposure and, and watching more information about what design is all about, whether it's an HGTV show or an actual design-focused channel or design-focused series. But what's really, for me, within the Bay Area, the biggest changes uh, have been the fact that the technology world, and specifically tech clients, in this case technology companies, are still rolling along in what I would call a positive way. And when I say positive way, they're all growing. Everything's growing. And, and with growth comes challenges, and with growth comes problems. And the, really the biggest challenge that we're all facing right now in our, in our specific industries right now is that it's too expensive. It's far more expensive than we would ever ever have imagined 10 years ago. No one would ever realize or ever think that the real estate prices would go up, that land would become so valuable. We live in a very wonderful environment, but we're also, we live in a place right now that we're truly challenged by the fact that labor prices are so high, material prices are so high. There are, there are times when we're working on projects that it's, it's hard when we tell the client it's going to cost this amount of money to, for us to do this project. They say, oh my gosh. Three years ago, it would never would cost them that much. So there are, there are cases where it's gone double in five years, the prices of, of doing something or building a project. So that's, that's the biggest change is, is the cost of doing business, the cost of labor, the cost of materials. Yeah. How do you, how do you work with that challenge if you are able to? Well, I would say that there's a lot more focus on, I would say, effective and economical solutions. There's probably a lot less money spent on a frivolous use of materials or there's more money spent on energy saving. There's more money spent on lighting systems that work, mechanical systems that work. There's, there's truly, those are the things that we're recognizing. You have to make sure that those things work for us to have a productive space. And then yes, we also need to make sure that the space is comfortable, but it's, there's not as much focus on that as there is right now. We want to make sure that we can build a project that works mm -hmm. and, and is functional. Of course, the challenge with us or designers all the time is, but it's got to look good too. You know, sure. it's got to be, it's got to make yeah. us productive. It's got to be innovative. So it, we've, we've got a difficult job. Um, and I know everybody has difficult jobs, but our true <laughs> challenge is balancing the fact that here in the Bay Area and also Seattle and all the way up, up and down the West Coast, we're so successful. That's sometimes in many cases, we're probably too successful in terms of our business. Um, Interesting. Too successful. Yeah, how, how, what kind of challenges is that? Well, it's there's there's limits. Um, and You're I, you too know, successful. I, well, I you know, th those <laughs> are the things. The thing that struck me the most, and this is one of those. This, we had an office in San Ramon, out in the valley, Tri Valley, and we were our lease was coming up. And I remember at that time, this is about four four and a half years ago. We were thinking, of, what would we, what are we going to do? Are we going to stay out there? Are we going to look somewhere else? And I remember reading a, an article. I think it might have been the Bay Guardian, but it was an article that said, all my artist friends are moving to Oakland. And I thought, oh, oh that's interesting. And so, but you're, you automatically think, okay, 
That I understand exactly what that means. That means that they're being forced out. Artists are being forced over here. They're they're you know, it's a natural progression. 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I lived in South of Market, and that's where all the art was. That's where all the sculpture was. I mean, I, I was actually practicing art and being an architect at that time in a, in a studio space. So when you see that, it's a, there was an instant sign saying, you know what, Oakland's the place to go right now. That's where a lot of the, the newer opportunities are going to be because the prices of everything in San Francisco have gone to a certain point that it's very difficult for companies, even like ourselves, to to pay the rent sometimes it's the prices have gone up so much so yeah. i'm not quite sure where that where i'm going with this right now but it, that's one of the truest challenges right now is the price of real estate and the price of materials and labor costs yeah i like where actually where you're going now is what happens to an area when it does become it's depleted of that artistic it becomes stale and it becomes antiseptic and it becomes boring and I've been I've been thinking about that a lot, and I think the answer is I don't think necessarily think the answer is an easy answer, but I also know that when I go to places like Asian cities like Tokyo or Asian cities like Bangkok, they're extremely dense, and the infrastructure is is really really good. So everything's knitted together on a really wonderful infrastructure. Beijing's the same way, Shanghai's the same way. There are cities that have figured it out. There are cities that have actually figured it out that, yes, the art's important. All of those other things are just as important. You don't want to force all that out. And I think San Francisco right now, there has been a push of all of that spirit, the music, the okay. art has been pushed out. There's got to be a way to re-inject that into the city somehow. And that's, that's, that's truly one of the challenges I think that San Francisco is going to have going forward. Well, so if you, if you said the economics seems like that's the number one reason why that's forced out. Yes, it's definitely the economics. No, no question about it. It used to be that the place everyone wanted to be was Silicon Valley and the peninsula and Palo Alto. But when the companies such as Twitter and the companies such as, in this case, Facebook and Google started to recognize that that's where all the talent is, is up here in San Francisco that's where a lot of the business was moved to eventually. And so it's, it's up and down from San Jose, Silicon Valley, all the way up the peninsula. They're all very interesting uh, pockets of development, in many cases, pockets of innovation. Yeah. What do you think of having a, uh, in a legislative, uh, say, mayoral position, and many shows have heard me state my position on is that I think uh, in that leadership, a civic leadership, that an architect or design thinking person ought to be at the right hand of any mayoral candidate or or mayor for a city and that makes for a better city if you have that i think it would wouldn't be just a person i think it would be a team okay per- so yeah yeah okay. i think that's a very very smart way to think about things i think we're all in this together and we're all in this point where the more information and the smarter brains that we can bring, bring together in this, we're going to come up with solutions that make, a, make for, in this case, a city better place to live and a better place to work and a better place to you know, have leisure time. So a team as an advisor. At that level. At a Just yeah. as important, vital, actually. Oh, yeah. not, not just, oh, yeah, we'll, get, we'll see what they think. Right. No, vital. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's vital. I think yeah. you can look at some places in South of Market right now where buildings have gone up, but if you look at the ground floor or ground level, there's nothing there. It's just some lobbies. There's a lot of lobbies. There's no retail. There's no place to enjoy. There's no cafes. The magic of the of the pedestrian has been pushed off to the side at the expense of, oh. of the automobile. 
Yeah. I want to touch on that. Well, why don't we go there now? There's actually a city in Spain. I cannot recall mm. the name of it, but uh, someone could use their favorite search engine uh, to find it out. But they, there's cars are, they're not allowed. They're, they're parked either outside of the city or mm-hmm. I think they're beginning to go underground. Yeah. And then the, the people can walk. And I don't know the spirit, the kilometers of, mm-hmm. of it, but it's a city in Spain. There might mm-hmm. be another couple around the world, but this one in particular. Yeah. What do you think about that when you actually consider the people as more important than the vehicles? I think we're, we're naturally going in that direction. When I say naturally going in that direction, the driverless car is allowing us to go in that direction. In other words, there will be less of a need for everyone to have a car. Because of the services of driverless cars, whether it's through some type of company that's figured it all out, that ability to move through space isn't going to mean that you need to have a car that you go and you park somewhere and you take up space. Yeah. It, that is being, we're actually making it go in that direction right now. There's even projects that we're working on right now where the first three or four levels of a project is designed as a parking garage, but it also, we've designed it so that it can be easily converted to retail and office once the car demand goes away. Oh, really? Yes. That type of thinking is really important as we go forward. You don't build something just for a car and then you're stuck with it. You build it and design it so that it can be used for a car for maybe two or three years. Cars go away, and then you can use that space for people space and not not wasted parking space. Yeah. On the subject of spaces, what's your thought on the space between buildings? I think the space between buildings is something that we need to enjoy. And what I mean by that is that it's, I mean, there's some wonderful, there's a pocket park in New York, and I've forgotten the name of it, but there's a, there's a guy who works at a, a carpet company, a floor covering company. He's a good friend of mine. He has a studio, and he recognize there was this one pocket park which is a space between buildings that has been in new york for ages and ages and he did a study he looked at the ground and the paving patterns and the moss and the trees and the grass and he used that as inspiration for his new line of carpet oh really yeah and so what when i when i talk about spaces in between the spaces in between are just as important as the spaces of the buildings themselves it's the spaces in between where actually some of the new discoveries can be made yeah, I like that the new discoveries in there. New discoveries is uh, you say you're never really satisfied. Not that you're not satisfied. Yeah, you're fulfilled, but uh, there's there's a longing for for a newness or a beginning. Mm-hmm. Is that just you, Doug, or do you think uh, it's part of the um, um, the architecture mindset? I think or? it's part of me. Okay. I mean, there's a natural level of curiosity for myself. I'm, I I relish and I look forward to the chances of traveling. I'm, I'm traveling again this Wednesday. I'm going to go over to Washington, D.C. It's for a seminar about lighting, specifically about lighting. Will you illustrate? I'm going to do an illustration. Please Absolutely. send it. I, I, will oh, yeah. definitely, I will definitely send it to you. It's been a while since I've been yeah. to Washington, D.C. The last one, the last time I was in D.C., I did a painting of the Ronald Reagan Airport. I do remember that. And the horizon was a little Washington Memorial Monument. But um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, it's uh, not even quite sure where I was going in the conversation. Yeah, you were here, watching but, did, did yeah. DC about what's new to you and what's, yes. what's, fu- what's fulfilling. So it sounds like you're always on. I'm always on. Yeah, I'm always yeah, on. Yeah, I know you yeah. work a specific amount of time yeah. and you're compensated hopefully for it. Mm-hmm. But, but there's... I'm always time. on afterwards also. I, there, it's, it, there's never really an off period. Um, <laughs> really? There is, you know, sleep, is, of course, off. is an off period. But there is, there is a, 
I am fortunate. But how about um, even in your sleep? <laughs> it's still- I probably do. I, okay. I probably do. But I also have a wonderful time right now because I, I have an eight-year-old daughter oh, and great. we spend time drawing together. Um, oh. Yeah, we do dad and daughter time. And so that is probably the best because we both draw on paper, but we also both draw on the iPad and paint. And that's, there's nothing like that. Yeah. So I, she's got it. She's got talent. And it's just oh, wonderful watching great. it and, and nurturing it yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. How did you see it? Was she you know, two years old or one? Yeah, or something did... two or three years old. And, and it's just, uh, you know, it's oh, the one little of those hand things. with the. Yeah. You can, it, you know, all children. Really, I think I think anyone can draw. I think it's it's that we just shy away from it sometimes because we're either shy or we don't think we can draw very well, or we see someone who obviously is so good at it that we said, "Oh, I'll never be as good as he or she is." So, but a child usually has that ability that has not been influenced yet. So they have this ability to do a more of a freeform association of recording them, recording something. Yeah. What do you think of going back to a child? Mm. It seems as the essence of them is they have a, um, they don't have any mental, there's no limitations right. in their mindset yet. There's no block. There's no inhibitions. There's no, there's nothing saying you can't do that. Or there's nothing saying that, look, if you're going to draw that, you better make sure you get it right. That's not happening. <laughs> yeah. That's not happening. No. Yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah. your daughter's eight years old? Yep. Yeah. So how else, how else does she inspire you? She inspires me yeah. also. <laughs> she inspires me also because she is, uh, she's bilingual and she has been, you know, as she's growing up, my, my wife is Japanese. So she's, of course, English and Japanese. Huh? She's learning, but her Japanese has gone past mine already at eight years old. Oh, really? And so now she inspires me because she corrects my Japanese. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, Anywhere and, it, and everywhere. That's inspirational. And she also knows a lot of kanji now, the Japanese uh, system of writing, and I'm way behind now. So yeah, how she about inspires the, me. How about the art, the, the drawing, the yes. kanji? How about the art within it? Yes. It, I mean, the art within it is in there. Um, and that's what's wonderful because she is studying that now too, whether it's with a pen or a pencil or a brush pen. It, it's all, that's, I mean, it's just like calligraphy. Writing okay. is, is, is an art form. Um, and we've lost it as we've migrated to the keyboard. We've really lost it. So anyone who still has the ability to do a wonderful cursive or a script or printing or, you know, Japanese or Chinese style of writing, that's that's all an art form. It's the ability to take something here and put it down and it means something. Now, that tactile feel, yes. it's as important, if not more important now than than ever? Yes, it is. I'm, I'm, that's a totally baited question. I believe it is, yeah. but I want to hear your... It, it is just as important or more important than ever before. So I'm a big believer, even if I'm using a digital tablet for most of my work, I also will draw on paper or anything type of surface, take a photograph of it, record it, and then I'll even draw on top of that again in a digital way. So it's a, the blend of analog and digital is essential for us um, going forward in design. Wow, excellent. This is The Modern Architect, KZSU 90.1 FM Stanford. Music has been used for healing since ancient times. Healing Muses provides high-quality live music featuring the harp as part of innovative healing programs to support patient care in Bay Area hospitals, hospices, and convalescent centers. The organization relies on generous support from public and private sources, including individuals. If you'd like to help, you can visit www.healingmuses.org or email information at healingmuses.org. We're talking today with Doug Whitnable, architect 
and Design Director at Gensler. For more information, feel free to visit Gensler.com. That's Gensler.com. Doug, what else have we not touched on in our, in our show that you would like to share with the audience and listeners? We, we've covered a lot of ground today, from beauty to <laughs> thin places to children. Yeah. And we've talked a lot. I would say that what we haven't talked about very much, but I'm, I'm very curious about, is the next generation. Okay. Um, I think it's something that I don't pay enough attention to, but it's um, we need to pay more attention to the next generation that's going to inherit all of the, what we've been occupying and building going forward. So that, that's one of the things I, could, I would like to talk about. The second one probably is what's the future going to be like? This idea of speculating about the future. I, I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, do so. Yeah. How, how do you well, how I, do you see where we are now and where we're going the next two, three years in, the, uh, in nature and in the built design well, and built the, environment? In the built environment right now, it's very intriguing. I'm very intrigued right now by, by, by several architects who are going to the extreme in terms of, of using materials like wood. I'm very intrigued by an architect, Kengo Kuma, in Japan, where most, if not anything that he's working on, is is derived in this idea of an organic view and organic material. Isn't it Kengo? Kengo Kuma. Okay, yeah. Kengo Kuma. I'm always intrigued by designers and engineers and architects who are building something that's their image of what the future could and should be. I think that's probably one of the ways that we advance as a society and a civilization when we start to dream about the future and then we we invest our thoughts and our minds into create something this is what it should be this is what we think this is what i think we need to look at as as um, a space to live or a space to work or a space to create it's almost like inventing a new product or you know a new object that for someone to buy but in this case it's inventing a new environment for us to live and work and play in yeah how do you see it your own vision it changes all the time, but my vision right now, I actually I did a, you know, I, I don't know if I've got it here right now, but I did about, I think it was four years ago, I did a drawing about uh, the future of Oakland. It was an aerial view, and I did a drawing of, of what I imagined the future of Oakland was going to look like. And it's, oh yeah, here it is. It's a, it's a view looking down on the city of Oakland. And I show the estuary, I show Alameda, but I've also added these special ships with sails. I've got a large Ferris wheel. Oh. I've got a flying generator up in the sky. I've got a bridge that goes over Highway 880, so you don't have that. You don't go underneath it. You go over it. Um, oh. It's just an idea of of what the city could be like in the future if we started to pay more attention to knitting together you know, nature and art and literature and this idea of co-working all together. So it's those types of... When was this? 2014. So yeah, 2014. that's four years old. But that, I love to do things like this. I love to take something and start to think about what could it be like. I love that. So what? what, what how could we make this this? Or even better uh, than your I, own vision? I don't, think, I don't think we can make this this, but certainly showing things like this and being able to at least, you know, have it out there in some ways, ways shape, or form – even things like this, even this this type of drawing here, if it's out there, it influences the way people think. It does influence it, whether it's positive or negative. But if you can think of the other positive way to do this, if someone, a musician, is doing a new song, that influences people to feel in a certain way. Yes. Right? So 
any type of, of way that you capture energy and record it in some type of, of, of fixed way, that's going to influence how people act in the future. Yeah. Are there any quotes or mental, emotional mantras that you have that kind of carry you through the day or you, you, you use with any and all or any projects that you have or any thoughts or even visions? Uh, yes. <laughs> really? Oh, you have it right here. I do. I've got four right. quotes, yeah, but please. they're all about drawing. What, there's a quote by Matisse that to draw is to sharpen an idea. Drawing is the precision of thought. Precision of thought. thought. And the right. second one is Picasso. I draw like other people bite their nails. <laughs> really? that's, a, that's a wonderful one. <laughs> Hockney said, drawing should be part of all visual education in the same way that push-ups are a part of an athlete's training. Oh. Again, drawing. Oh, yeah. And then finally... I love that illustration. Was it a person doing... Yeah, doing press-ups. Yeah. Yep. And then the finally, Michael Graves, one of the architects, um, he passed away, unfortunately, a while back. But drawing by hand stimulates the imagination and allows us to speculate about ideas. It's a good sign that we are all alive. And so those four quotes are my favorite quotes about drawing. Excellent. Doug, it's been a real honor and pleasure having you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. That was great. I yeah. loved it. Thank you. I hope time. you consider it sometime uh, in the future as yes. well, coming back to our show. It was awesome. Love to. Love Thank to. you very much. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dior. Our guest today has been Doug Wittenable, architect, design director at Gensler. Doug directs the vision of project teams as they collaborate with technology, energy, and financial firm clients, and is president of the Northern California chapter of the International Interior Design Association. For more information, you're welcome to visit www.gensler.com slash people slash Doug dash Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and on location, and is a production of KCC Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Darlene Franklin, chief engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Akshay Jaggi. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Diro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu.
Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect.